We talk a lot about the Trump indictments, but President Trump is not the only conservative that our liberal ruling class is trying to put behind bars. In fact, today, this week and today specifically, liberals in Georgia are rounding up 18 co-defendants in the Trump case. Who are they? Well, one is Mark Meadows, former U.S. congressman, former White House chief of staff. He's being arrested for being on a phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State and the President of the United States in which the President raised the prospect of election fraud. Another one is my friend Jenna Ellis, who is being arrested for committing the crime of being the President's lawyer. Another one is John Eastman, another lawyer, extremely respected, great guy, indicted for believing that there might have been some questions about the propriety of the election and advising his client on how best to navigate that. Whole bunch of other lawyers, including Rudy Giuliani, greatest mayor in the history of New York City, indicted for basically the same thing. Jeffrey Clark, a former DOJ official who, quote, identified significant concerns about the 2020 election. Those concerns are apparently enough to get you arrested in Joe Biden's America. David Schaefer, former head of the Georgia Republican Party, being prosecuted for objecting to the way that the election was conducted. Stephen Lee, a pastor, a pastor who is being prosecuted for knocking on the door of an election worker, knocking on the door and on and on. To say nothing of the Midwestern grannies who were locked up, the hapless protesters thrown in solitary confinement for months and months for walking around the Capitol Rotunda on January 6th, the worst day in the history of the whole wide world. Incarcerated just months after BLM arsonists, looters, and rioters walked free with nary a slap on the wrist. These people, mostly lawyers and political activists, are not being incarcerated for any particular crimes. Plenty of people have committed the same or more egregious versions, much more egregious versions, of these supposed transgressions and never received a knock on the door from the authorities. These people are being prosecuted for their politics, for which side they're on, which party they belong to, which candidates they help. They are effectively political prisoners. And with no sign of the prosecution slowing down, one now has to ask a very sad question. By the end of 2024, which country will have more per capita political prisoners? Communist China, Putin's Russia, or the good old U.S. of A? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Speaking of our rulers, Joe Biden just touched down in Maui and decided to make the national catastrophe where likely a thousand people at least have been killed, lots of children. He decided to make that all about a kitchen fire in his house. So we'll get to that in one second. First, though, did you ever think you would ask that question about your own country? How many more political prisoners are we going to get? Who's going to have more political prisoners, us or some awful, terrible countries, no good, rotten regimes around the world? I I guess I was just a little naive. 
I didn't think we did that in the United States. I wasn't so naive that that I didn't realize that people in power sometimes pursue political advantage and punish political enemies. I knew that. I just never thought we would get to the point where we would be arresting lawyers for representing, for having the gall, the temerity to represent the president of the United States, where we would be actually arresting candidates, former presidents, leaders of the opposition, like Trump, of course, and pretty much anyone Trump's ever met for having the gumption to question an election that was obviously rigged, regardless of what you think about, well, would Trump have won or did Biden really get a bazillion votes or whatever? We know they changed all the rules in the months and weeks before the election. We know they did this to the advantage of Democrats. We know they did this in a way in which even Democrats previously had admitted it, that it opens the system up to fraud. We know that they did it in violation of the state constitution in the case of Pennsylvania. We all know that. And so then Trump's lawyers and some activists and some Republican leaders and a pastor, I don't know, ordinary people raise a question about that. I'm not even saying they speak truth to power. I'm saying they raise questions to power and they get thrown in the can for it. Did you ever think we'd be there? I didn't because the Democrats did all of that in 2000, which with far less justification than the Republicans did in 2020. And we were told that was patriotic. Dissent is patriotic. Remember that? Hillary continues to do it from 2016. Stacey Abrams continues to do it from 2018. None of them are in prison. They're all feted. They all go on CNN. They're all lauded as wonderful voices of the people. But at any time, any Republican does it. From, from Donald Trump all the way down to the Midwestern granny, they, they get thrown in the cell and, and they, they throw away the key, at least for a long period of time. Now, speaking of being harassed for questioning the government, Vivek Ramaswamy is in hot water. Here's the headline. The headline is, Vivek Ramaswamy is a 9-11 truther. Vivek Ramaswamy says 9-11 was an inside job and the government totally did it. And I saw that headline. I said, well, I, you know, I've known Vivek for some time now. That, do, that doesn't seem like his view. I mean, that's a little suspect to me. Let me look a little deeper. Then I realized it's, it's basically a, a fake hit job from the media. He went on CNN to discuss it. Here's the line of questioning. A report in the Atlantic that you gave an interview to, you said, quote, I think it is legitimate to say how many police, how many federal agents were on the planes that hit the Twin Towers. Maybe the answer is zero. It probably is zero for all I know, right? I have no reason to think it was anything other than zero. But if we're doing a comprehensive assessment of what happened on 9-11, we have a 9-11 commission. Absolutely, there should be an answer the public knows the answer to. Explain to me what you meant there. This is really, it's funny. I mean, the Atlantic is playing the same game as CNN. It's funny. What I said is on January 6th, I do believe that there were many federal agents in the field and we deserve to know who they are. On 9-11, what I've said is that the government lied. And this is incontrovertible evidence, Caitlin. The government lied about Saudi Arabia's involvement. There was a Saudi spy named Al-Bayoumi who they lied and the government lied and the 9-11 commission lied. We know that because declassified reports in 2021 Which revealed President that Al-Bayoumi was indeed. What's that? Yeah, the report that, that wow. President Biden declassified. Yes. But your quote here, are you telling me that the quote is wrong years later, here? yeah. But are you telling me that I'm your quote, you quote is wrong, wrong here actually. because it says... Do I live in North Korea? I, I guess this is part of my political naivete. Because when I was a kid, I was taught that the media, the journalists, they exist to speak truth to power. 
All those other terrible regimes around the world, Russia, China, North Korea, they all just have state propaganda for their media, but not us in America. And then I, I watch this. And what does this woman say, Caitlin Collins? She says, how dare you question the government about anything? Are you, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. She says, no, wait, hold on. I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist. I didn't say anything crazy. I'm just pointing out, we know for a fact, now even Joe Biden would admit this, we know that the government did lie about at least the involvement of Saudi Arabia in, in, the, in the intelligence apparatus in Saudi Arabia. And so they suppressed that. So we're just asking some questions about, about the government. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to be skeptical of power? I'm not saying that it was, you know, some like space aliens or, or I'm not saying it was, you know, George Bush was hijacking an airplane. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying the government lied about Saudi Arabia's involvement. So we should continue to press them on, on, on important national matters. Okay. We now know that because they lied. And what does this woman do? She interrupts him. She says, we know they lied because great glorious leader Joe Biden declassified the documents. He, our great, wonderful, glorious leader of the sun, Joe Biden, good, good, wonderful man, he did it. And so now that is the truth. Before he did that, it, whatever the government previously said was the truth. But now that the sun king, Kim Il Biden, has declared that Saudi Arabia was somewhat involved, now we can say that now. All hail the glorious leader. And, and Vivek says, wait, what? Yeah, that's my point. You're making my point, lady. Could have been, he could have been speaking Korean on there. Wouldn't have looked any different. Now, when you want answers to your problems, you, you shouldn't deal with our liberal establishment. When you want a quick answer to a problem like, hey, you just ran out of propane, you got to check out Cinch. Right now, go to cinch.com, use code Knowles. Picture the perfect summer night, a warm breeze on your face as you lounge in your favorite chair outside. The grill is sizzling with juicy burgers. And the aroma of the food is irresistible. You're salivating. The drool is dripping down your chin. Now, imagine what this perfect summer night would look like if you went to turn on the grill and your propane tank were empty. That's where our friends at Cinch come in. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane grill tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule, requires no long-term commitment, or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Whether you're grilling steaks or lighting up the patio heaters on a cold night, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures that you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment. Go online to cinch.com or download the Cinch app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just 10 bucks with promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That's cinch.com or download the Cinch app and use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. This is a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Visit cinch.com slash offer for details. My second thought on the Vivek 9-11 thing, I don't know. I haven't looked that deeply into it. I don't really care what he said to the Atlantic or he said to CNN or he it seemed to explain himself fine there. But even, I don't know. What he, he was. I, I did see he was on Alex Stein's show, a conservative comedian. And Alex Stein gets a little more into kind of edgy theories type things. And he said, what do you think about 9-11? And Vivek said, I think the government has lied about parts of it. And so, you know, we should continue to ask questions. Which again, I don't know. I just, it was on a conservative comedy show. I think it doesn't really interest me that much. I, don't, I, I disagree with Vivek on a whole number of issues. So that didn't, I didn't bat an eyelash there. I'm more interested in his views on, I don't know, free speech or corporate power or all the rest. But anyway, he said that, and that's the line that the liberals are running with. To which I say, man, he must have a pretty good candidacy. If that's the best they've got, if the best they've got 
is a possibly inartful articulation of some aspect of the release of previously classified documents about a national tragedy that occurred over 20 years ago. This guy must have a pretty squeaky clean candidacy. No sex scandal, no financial scandal, no political corruption. I mean, I'm just talking about the Biden family right there. That would take out the entire Biden family right there if if we had a fair media. But they don't have any of that on Vivek, so they've got to go to some line he said on a conservative podcast. Give me a break. The best they've got is he doesn't believe every single thing that the 9-11 Commission concluded, some of which have been contradicted by, by declassified documents within the last couple of years. He's probably feeling pretty good heading into this debate. Speaking of the debate, another friend of mine, unfortunately, looks like he's going to be kept out of the debate. That would be Larry Elder. Larry Elder, conservative libertarian radio host in California, ran for governor of California. He's running for president now. He got, gets to the airport at LAX. He thinks that he's qualified for the debate. He gets a call from Ronna McDaniel, at the head of the RNC, saying that he didn't qualify. Here's why. As you can see, I'm at LAX in route to Milwaukee. I was just informed by the RNC that I'm not qualified for the debate. Why? Even though I exceeded the 40,000 individual donations required, uh, even though I signed the pledge to support the eventual nominee, uh, even though I submitted three polls where I was at least at 1%, I was informed that one of the polls is not eligible. It's the Rasmussen poll, even though it was the most accurate poll in predicting that Donald Trump would win in 2016. They say it is affiliated with Donald Trump and therefore uh, it is not eligible. And I said to Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the RNC, it's not affiliated with me. She said any poll affiliated with any candidate is not eligible. And no one told me that until just now. So we're filing an emergency injunction to get me up there. This is absolutely BS. One of the candidates, by the way, offered a $20 gift certificate for a $1 donation. That apparently is okay. Okay, so (laughs) what he's referring to there at the end, I think it was Burgum, who had no name recognition, no support. So he decided to just give away gift certificates. If you gave um, a small donation to his campaign, he'd give you a, a gift card of greater value <laughs> to somewhere else because he just wanted 40,000 donors to be able to get onto the debate stage. So what 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 about Larry here? The rules are the rules. I guess he technically doesn't qualify. They can keep him off the stage if they want. Nobody's asked my opinion, but if it were me, if I were running the RNC, I'd let him on. Maybe he doesn't match the letter of the law here, but I think the spirit of the law, he's he's there because it's not as though he's using the Donald Trump polling firm He's certainly not using the Larry Elder polling firm. I didn't realize that Rasmussen had this direct relationship with Donald Trump. But even so, Rasmussen's a a very respected poll that's been around for a very long time. So it doesn't seem like this is some cynical workaround, some opportunistic grab. I think he qualifies according to three polls, one of which I guess has a relationship with Trump. But don't forget, Trump is effectively running as the incumbent. So this is, again, a reason why this election, this primary race, is different from any other primary race in our lifetimes because you've got the first president running for a non-consecutive second term since 1888. And so, yeah, I guess one of the big polling firms has a relationship with Trump. In a normal, ordinary primary year, that would not be the case. Now it is. I say let him on the stage. Who cares? Who's it really going to hurt? It's going to really hurt DeSantis. DeSantis is already going to be duking it out with Vivek and Christie all night long. 
I don't think putting Larry Elder up there is going to do very much. Larry Elder's got an interesting perspective. He's got a, a slightly different perspective than the other candidates on that stage. And frankly, Larry Elder is extremely libertarian. So it's not even like I particularly agree with the ways in which his perspective differ from the other guys on the stage. But I think, come on, you're going to have a debate, have a debate. Trump is out. He's not going to be participating. In some ways, it's going to make the debate more interesting in that you're not going to have the big king of the hill, top of the heap, chairman of the board sucking all the air out of the room. So you're going to have all these other guys sniping at each other, which will make it more interesting, if not uh, more significant for the race right now, because Trump is up 30, 40 points. So put him on the stage. Come on, why not? Let Larry up there. Larry is really, the reason they don't want him on the stage is because I suspect the other candidates don't want to have to deal with Larry Elder because Larry Elder is really, really good in debates. He's really good in confrontational scenarios. Larry was just on The Breakfast Club and he was he was effectively called an Uncle Tom. Larry Elder's been called an Uncle Tom his whole life. I think he did, didn't he do a movie called Uncle Tom? And so he's dealt with this smear his whole life and he was somewhat subtly called an Uncle Tom by the host of The Breakfast Club, and Larry just let him have it. Have you ever heard of the <clears> term <throat> a wake-up call? No. It is an incident where a person of color forgets that they are of color and are reminded rather brutally by an unexpected act of racism. Oh, have you brother. ever had any of those? Oh, brother. I'm just asking. I'm just, have, you think you've ever well, had Well, I'm acutely aware, Charlemagne, that I'm a black person, just as you are a black person. And when uh, Joe Biden insulted you by saying, mm-hmm. you ain't really black, we don't know whether or not you want to vote for me or vote for Donald Trump, uh, it seems to me that should have been a wake-up call on your part. How dare this guy come in here and insult you, a black man, and tell you you got to think a certain kind of way? I'm amazed that you weren't mad about that. Um, I didn't, I'm not going <laughs> to say I, it upset me, just like I'm not letting you upset me. You know what I mean? I don't tend to get upset over things like well, that. But what I did say Well, well you just not, not talk about, about a wake-up call, and it seemed to me that that should have been a wake-up call on your part, to have a white guy come in here who also said, by the way, uh, uh, about Mitt Romney— um, uh, uh, because he didn't want to put more regulations on Wall Street, going to put y'all back in chains. And Joe Biden has lied for decades about his civil rights record, claiming that he desegregated movie theaters and restaurants in, in Wilmington, Delaware, when he didn't any didn't do any of that. He lied and said that he tried to visit Nelson Mandela during apartheid South Africa. He did not. And he came in here and told you you aren't even black and let you think a certain kind of way. It seemed to me that should have been a wake-up call for you, but it wasn't, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely devastating. So that's part of the reason I want him on the debate stage. I'm really looking forward to the debate tonight. I know some people are saying it's not fair that Trump's not there. Trump needs to show up. They need to rip Trump apart. If Trump showed up, it would be the Donald Trump show, which I get a kick out of. I find it entertaining. But the rest of the guys on stage would have just been trying to take pot shots at Trump. It probably wouldn't have worked very well. He would have maintained his lead. We wouldn't have really gotten very much out of it. Now, at least we're going to get to see the differences between all of the second tier and third tier and fourth tier candidates and see if any movement happens and see if right now Ron DeSantis is still number two. Maybe he can improve his position. Maybe some candidates drop out and people coalesce around DeSantis, or maybe one of the other candidates comes up, takes that number two spot from him. It's going to be a much less predictable interesting debate than that. And it'll be even more interesting if Larry Elder gets up there. Now, to the point Larry Elder's making here is a really good exchange, and and Larry's good at pointing out the hypocrisy of the racism industry, but I don't think this is going to work in the general. If if Larry somehow became the nominee or were a running mate or something like that, I don't think this line would work in the general because 
the black vote is overwhelmingly solidly Democrat. And we might say that's wrong and that's stupid and they should vote for Republicans. And I think all of that, but it's just a fact. The, the black vote has not budged in decades. And on top of that, racism doesn't mean anything anymore. The, the word racist, according to the Democrats, just means bad. The word, you'll just be accused of racism if you in any way contradict their views on anything. Or if you are white at all, you're, you'll be called racist. And uh, to, the, to the right, because the right has recognized that the word doesn't mean anything, I, I think the, the attack has less uh, venom than it used to. It has less potency than it used to. So, you know, Larry can come out and say, well, Democrats are the real racists. I just don't think it's going to budge anybody's vote. The Democrats who could be scandalized by that and wake up and go to the other side, that's, I think, already happened. And the Republicans are much less afraid of being called racist now because we know how disingenuous it is. So hope he makes it to the debate. I think he would do a great job out there. The main guy in the race has just promised, though, that he will not go to any of the debates. Now, the debates are about hiring somebody to do the job of president. When you want to hire someone, you got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. If you're hiring, you know that it's incredibly difficult to attract top talent. With the current labor market conditions, it's even harder than ever. That is why you want a partner like ZipRecruiter, who gets it. ZipRecruiter knows how tough it is right now, but they've figured out solutions for the problems that you're facing. Try them for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. To reach more of the right people, ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 job sites. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds great matches for your job and then lets you invite the most qualified people to apply for your job. Their pricing is really straightforward. You can stick to your budget with no surprises. Team up with a hiring partner like ZipRecruiter who understands what you need. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter. The absolute number one smartest way to hire. Let me ask you something. Have you ever thought Princess Diana's death seemed a little bit sus? You know, we're talking about one of the presidential candidates got stuck in some conspiracy theories, according to the media. Well, we've got a whole conspiracy theory deck here. You know the truth about seed oils? Hmm? You know how that causes sunburns? I don't, some people say, I'm just asking questions. Just like a few of the questions that we answered in the recent conspiracy-filled episode of Yes or No. In this episode, I'm joined by Daily Wire's firebrand, the lovely Candace Owens. Check out this clip. Men who don't work out are like women who cry on TikTok after their pet bunny dies. It's disordered, <laughs> weak, and hard to look at. <laughs> That's just funny. Aside from the game itself, the Yes or No Conspiracy Expansion Pack is here. It's now available in my collection at dailywire.com shop with over 110 new cards tackling such topics as the moon landing, government cover-ups, and the Denver airport. You can find out even more about your friends and family and judge their stances on the most hotly contested conspiracies in American life because the original game is just not controversial enough. If you have not gotten the full Yes or No game, now would be the time. We're going to sell out of both of these things, as we always do. So if you want it, I would go get it right now. I don't know the next time we're going to get it in stock. We're going to try to keep these things printing, but sometimes it takes a little while. So go to dailywire.com shop. 
Get yours in the all-new Yes or No Conspiracy Expansion Pack today. We knew Trump wasn't going to go to this debate. He's having a conversation with Tucker instead. We've got a Daily Wire backstage tonight, so we'll, we'll be doing a whole pre-show about it and talking about it. But Trump has now come out and said he's not going to attend any of the debates. He says, new CBS poll just out has me leading the field by legendary numbers. Trump 62, 46 points above to Sanctimonious, who is crashing like an ailing bird. An ailing bird? <laughs> That's vivid. That's a very vivid image. Ramaswamy, 7, Pence, 5, Scott, 3, Haley, 2, Sloppy, Chris Christie, 2%. Ada Hutchinson, 1. Why do you spell it Ada? I don't know. Like the Broadway play? Was it, wasn't that a Broadway show, Ada? He said, anyway, the public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had with energy independence, strong borders, and military biggest ever tax and regulation cuts, no inflation, strongest economy in history, and much more. I will therefore, all caps, I will therefore not be doing the debates. Okay, I would say that this is bluster, that he won't attend this debate, nor should he. There's no strategic reason for him to do it. But, if this debate hurts his poll numbers, if this debate helps especially DeSantis or even Vivek or someone else to really start to rally the field around him, if a number of candidates drop out, maybe Trump will have to show up to the second debate. That's what I would have said. And I would say that this is all bluster, except for one line here. The one line here that tells me he might be serious and has good reason to make this point is, he says, the public knows who I am. The point of the debates is to introduce yourself to the public, to get the public to know you, to convince them that you're the man for the job. Donald Trump, uniquely in the field, has already done that. Everyone has known who Donald Trump is since the 80s, at least. This guy has been a staple of American public life for 40 years, more than 40 years. And he's been the president which is why, yet again, I have to point out it's not a regular presidential primary. He is running effectively as an incumbent. So the main advantage that he would get from the debates is he could show people who he is. He could craft the image about himself rather than letting other people craft the image of him for the public. There's nothing he can do. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Everybody has some opinion about Donald Trump. Not one word he's going to say in these debates is going to change people's opinion of him. Not one. It's the first time I think maybe he actually won't show up to the rest of them. And the first time I think maybe he's right not to. I'm not sure who's harsher on Trump, the Democrats or the never Trump Republicans. There's a guy, this is so sad, there's a guy, Michael Ludig, who is a longtime respected conservative judge, at least you'd say originalist judge, who now spends all of his time on liberal news shows attacking Donald Trump. And he believes that the Constitution disqualifies Trump from even running for president. He lost that election fair and square in what was we now know perhaps the fairest election mm -hmm. in American history. Hold on, put a pause there. Hold on. If you come to me and you make an argument and you say, Michael, look, obviously there were some shenanigans in the election, but here is why the burst water pipes and the week-long counting of the votes and the changing of all the election rules and the violating of the state constitution. Here's why 
all of the Democrat shenanigans actually didn't affect the outcome of the election, and you made that argument to me, I would at least be open to the argument. But if you come to me and and you deny all of those things, and you deny all the shenanigans, and you deny all the, the election policy changes that even Democrats 10 years ago admitted open the system up to fraud, and you look me in the face and you tell me that it's the fairest election in American history, I just can't believe that. That's obviously not true. That is the equivalent of Judge Ludig walking up to me, unzipping his fly, relieving himself on my leg, and telling me that it is raining. Completely absurd. He goes on. Disqualification provision of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and therefore the the imposition of that qualification uh, for the presidency is stated in perhaps the clearest language possible uh, in the Constitution, uh, and it is unmistakably applicable to uh, to the former president and his role and 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 activities on on January sixth. So the the question is not whether uh, the uh, Section three of the Fourteenth Amendment applies to the former president. It, it unquestionably does. Here's a little trick. This is just a little rule of thumb in politics when you want to discern serious political speech from BS political speech. Pay attention to the adverbs. The more adverbs that a politician uses, the more frequently the politician uses those adverbs, the, the more grand the adverbs, the more likely that he is not quite confident of his position. It is incontrovertibly true. It is so manifestly, obviously true in the clearest possible language that Trump's not qualified to run. He is disqualified. Where do you get that from? Oh, it's it's in the section three of the 14th Amendment. It's not, but just, but uh, let me just, it's the, it's obviously, clearly, most seriously, the fairest election ever, and so obviously, manifestly, clearly true that Trump can't run again. Okay, well, let me just see the, what is it, section three? You said section three of, of the 14th Amendment. Okay. Disqualification from holding office. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under the state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such a disability. What's kind of interesting about Section 3 is it doesn't mention the president. It mentions the, an elector of the president. It mentions senators, house representatives, different officers of different states, state legislatures, executive and judicial officers of states. It doesn't actually mention the president of the United States. And more importantly... It says that they they won't do it if they've engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Has Donald Trump been charged with insurrection? Did any of the January 6th grannies get charged with insurrection? Has Donald Trump been convicted of any crime? Has any crime even close to, to, to this sort of thing? Uh, not to my knowledge. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? No. 
And the notion that because CNN calls him an insurrectionist, therefore he is. Ludig goes on, he says, and well, the only question is, is this a self-enforcing rule? Is the, or do you have to be, you know, convicted by one of those pesky courts or something like that? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think you get convicted by MSNBC, dude. I think, <laughs> good grief, man. This guy is so sad what happened to this guy. Because I don't want to downplay, he was a very important figure in the conservative legal movement, which had some problems and is now in a process of being changed a little bit. It was a little too procedural, probably. It was not substantive enough. Got some good victories. Obviously, we got the Dobbs victory. That's pretty phenomenal. But but some have questioned the wisdom of the conservative uh, legal movement, notably uh, Adrian Vermeule, the Harvard law professor who is right-wing, and some other people have as well, uh, because th- there was a tendency among the conservative legal movement to squish at various times, to say, look, all we care about is the original public meaning of the Constitution and the original public meaning of statutes. And if that original public meaning leads us to the place where we're going to kill 800,000 babies a year, well, look, that's just what it says. We can't possibly use any other interpretive principle. We can't possibly refer to, say, the background principles of the natural law to, to come to a conclusion. We can't possibly exercise our judgment. No, 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 we're just, we're just automatons. We're robots applying the original public meaning, which itself was a transformation, by the way, because the original originalism was original meaning, not original, uh, original intent, not original public meaning. But in any case, it's very sad to see what happened to this guy and so many other people like him who just got driven crazy by Trump and made an idol out of their principles, their supposed principles, and and in so doing, undermined all of their principles. Does anyone really believe that throwing the leader of the opposition into prison for, for holding a rally and for calling for peace and and all the rest of it, that that's, that's really in keeping with the American Republican tradition, that that's really in keeping with the rule of law? No, nobody thinks that. But this guy's just been driven crazy, and now he's saying, hey, yeah, the liberal regime needs to imprison its political enemies. Yeah, go get them. Why? Because, I don't know, the 14th Amendment says it somewhere, or say an invisible ink somewhere. Very sad. Same thing happened to Bill Kristol. Bill Kristol, maybe you love him, maybe you hate him. Bill Kristol was a very influential guy on the right. Bill Kristol was so influential that he could launch extremely ill-fated wars and vice presidential careers for decades. And now what does he do? He just takes pot shots on blogs that nobody reads. He's, he is a Democrat. He's effectively a liberal Democrat. Judge Michael Ludig went from being a giant of the conservative legal movement to being the Ed McMahon to every hack host on MSNBC. Very, very sad. Why did that happen? I've got two explanations for it. I've got two explanations for how Trump, in particular, has managed to drive these people crazy. One, the cynical explanation is that it's just jealousy. That these guys used to have a lot of influence and power. These guys used to have their vision of what the Republican Party should be, be the dominant vision. And Trump came in and he returned the GOP in many ways to an older kind of conservatism that was a little more skeptical of free trade, that was a little more skeptical of immigration, that was a little more skeptical of outsourcing, that was a little more skeptical of of globalization, that was a little more skeptical of liberalism for that matter. And they didn't like that, and they saw their influence wane, and they saw their their political vision being 
put in the backseat as other kinds of conservatism had been put in the backseat for 50 years. And they took their ball and went home. And they said, well, if I can't have power here, I'm going to go over to the Democrat Party. Better to, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Okay, that's the cynical reason. The charitable explanation is that this is a failure of political imagination. That these guys had just been stuck in a rut. And they believed that the three or four hack talking points from the back of a napkin that the Republican politicians had been saying to no effect for 30 years, that that was the be-all and end-all of conservatism. That conservatism began when these people entered public life and it could never change, it could never deepen, it could never develop, it could never refer back to perhaps even deeper sources of political thought. And when that began to happen, when the fashionable lalbertarianism and neoconservatism of the 1990s and 2000s began to give way to deeper understandings of conservatism— Edmund Burke, Aristotle, the natural law, just the American tradition from the founding, not as it was uh, revised in children's books, but as it actually was in the 18th and 19th centuries. As that happened, they couldn't take it. They couldn't imagine that there was more to politics than just cutting taxes and flooding the country with foreigners and bombing the Middle East. And when they couldn't imagine that there was more to legal conservatism than using a crystal ball to figure out what a handful of legislators thought in 1789. And when when their views were challenged, rather than allowing iron to sharpen iron, they went over to the bad guys. Not good. So that's that's a real hazard of a failure of imagination. And despite the lackluster economy, the Daily Wire is thriving. We do not suffer from a failure of imagination over here. That's, I don't want to toot our own horn, but at least, at least on the imagination front, I think we, uh, we're, we're on the right track. So not only all of that, we're hiring. We are currently looking for a graphic designer to join our fast-growing creative department. As a graphic designer, you will collaborate with copywriters, creative directors, and other designers under the guidance of the executive creative director to craft show assets and thumbnails for a variety of media. To excel in this role, you will need to be proficient in... Adobe Creative Cloud. You'll have to have experience creating engaging web graphics, keen attention to detail, excellent communication and collaboration skills. The position is based here in Nashville, USA. If you're interested in joining our team, head on over to dailywire.com slash careers. That's dailywire.com slash careers today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Stephanie Crow 7387 says, I wish you would do a redo of Christopher Walken's dance scene in your new office. That's a great idea. Here's actually a little bit of trivia. You know, I've confessed that in my prior wayward youth of my teens and early 20s, I was a professional actor. And I know, listen, we've all all done things we're not proud of. Some people got addicted to heroin. Some people participated in orgies. I was a professional actor. Okay, I know these are shameful things, but what can we say? We have, we have, people do these things. But when I was an actor, I had the same acting teacher as Christopher Walken. Even though Christopher Walken is much older than me, he's 80 years old. I am not 80 years old. But I had a teacher who at the time was 92 years old, and he was Chris Walken's teacher. But he didn't teach me to dance as well as he apparently taught Chris. Speaking of failures of imagination, I told you yesterday that uh, the masks are coming back. 
the lockdowns, the COVID measures, they're coming back right on time. Two and a half years after they went away, they're coming back because COVID-19 was just before the 2020 presidential election, 1919 referred to 2019, and COVID-23 right here before the 2024 election to justify an upending of all the, the voting rules again. Morris Brown College has inaugurated this. Lionsgate in Hollywood said we're bringing back the masks. And Morris Brown College, as far as the universities go, says we're going to bring back the masks. And here's what they said. They said the mask mandate is a precautionary move for the next 14 days. It's being reported by WSB-TV. 14 days. Does that sound familiar? Two weeks. They're they're actually saying at Morris Brown College, hey, 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 we're not, no, 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 we're not bringing the mask, the masks back. Oh, hey, man, we're not bringing the COVID measure. We're just, it's just two weeks to slow the spread. Oh, shoot, we can't say two weeks. Because then if we say two weeks, they'll, maybe they'll remember that we did this exact same thing last time. Ah, uh, let's say 14 days. Yeah, yeah, they won't, they won't put two and two together. They're not even changing the script. They're just doing the exact thing they did during the last election, the exact, to a T, even after we know the masks don't work, this has now been admitted by relevant authorities. We now know that the social distancing was arbitrary. Heard that from the FDA. We now know that the vaccines didn't do what we were told they would do. They didn't stop people from catching COVID. They didn't stop people from spreading COVID. We now know that a lot of the statistics we heard early on in COVID were bogus based on fake models. We, We know all of that. It was all bogus, man. And they're doing it again. How offensive. It's, it's so much more offensive than even the fact that they're trying to lock us all down again and take away our ability to run our own country. The most offensive part is they're not even getting creative about it. Total failure of imagination. Speaking of scripts and going off scripts, uh, President Biden landed in Maui. One of the first things he says, he lands there and he makes, he makes a joke about the heat. You guys catch the boots out here? It's hot ground, man. An estimated 480 people have been killed at the very lowest estimate, and 850 are missing, and the death toll is almost certainly well above 1,000. <laughs> Pretty hot ground, huh? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Better wear some boots. Then he goes on. He's giving a speech, wearing a Hawaiian lei. He's giving a, a speech. And he, he has the temerity to compare the fire. We were talking about September 11th earlier in the show. If 1,000 people died in Maui, who knows how many? It could have been more, by the way. If 1,000 people died, that's, that's a third of 9-11. That is a third of what is considered to be the greatest tragedy in American history. And what does Joe Biden do? He compares it to a kitchen fire in his house. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, 
my 67 Corvette <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. You couldn't script this if you hired the best writers in Hollywood. You couldn't script. He walks up there and he says, ha ha. Yeah, I don't want to compare tragedies or whatever, but, uh, you know, one time I had this small kitchen fire that was very quickly contained. But, uh, and I know you guys lost like hundreds and hundreds of, of children, like whole families burned up. And uh, yeah, but I almost lost my Corvette. <laughs> anyway. What is wrong with this man? I'll tell you exactly what's wrong with it. I know exactly what's wrong with him. This, I want to be as charitable as I can. You know, I don't just throw bombs. This is an occupational hazard of politics, and Joe Biden is all politics. He is not a living, breathing human being with flesh. He is just the, the, a visible form of politics. He doesn't have any thoughts. He doesn't have any beliefs. He doesn't have any principles. He just does whatever he thinks the crowd will need to get him elected. He's been in politics for the, the majority of his life. He's been in, in, at the national level for over 50 years. And Joe Biden, charitably, we would call this empathy. Okay, this is the, the ability of politicians to feel compassion with their constituents, or at least to perform compassion. This is why when Hillary Clinton went out years ago and started putting on this fake Southern accent, she said, I don't feel no ways tired. I, I made fun of her, but I, I felt for her because I don't think she did that consciously. I think she just, that's what politicians do. They just naturally feel some resonance with the people that they're with and they, they try to find some common ground. So you could charitably call that empathy. You could uncharitably call it vanity, just making everything about themselves. But here's a good rule for solemn public speeches when you're talking about what appears to be turning out to be the, one of the greatest tragedies in American history. Delete the first person pronoun, the first person singular pronoun. Just delete it. I don't care you're giving a wedding toast, you're giving a eulogy, you're giving a political speech after a tragedy. Delete it. Delete. It's not about you, man. The, the, in Polybius's good old ancient uncle Polybius, in his take on the cycle of regimes, the different kinds of regimes that can decay into their, their bad version. You know, you have monarchy. Monarchy can be perfectly fine. There are wonderful monarchies in the history of the world. But then the bad version is tyranny. You know, you've got uh, aristocracy. That's the good version. It literally means rule by the good. And then you've got the bad version. That's oligarchy. Or you've got democracy, which people have had conflicting views on over history. But the bad version of democracy, according to our founding fathers, would be mob rule. Well, what's the difference? What separates those things? Uh, Thomas Hobbes, the author of Leviathan, one of the people who inaugurated modern political science, uh, one of the, the, probably the grandfather, we would say, of liberalism, the classical kind and the modern kind and all of it, he would say that there's really no difference between those things. It's just we say one regime is good and the other one is kind of bad. Ours, when we do it, it's good. When other people do it, it's bad. But there's really no substantive difference. But what Polybius would say is, what the ancient Greeks would say is that the good version is when the monarch or the aristocracy or the democracy are legislating for the common good. And the bad version is when the tyrant or the 
oligarchy or the mob are, are ruling for self-interest. And when a, when a ruler just talks about, I mean my, I mean my, all the freaking time, you know what kind of regime you're living under. The rest of the show continues now. It's Woke Wednesday, baby. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, KNWL, at checkout. Did I misspell my own name? Boy, man, it's been a long week. And it's going to be a longer night because we've got this debate tonight and the Trump interview with Tucker. So head on over to dailywire.com. Use code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That's how you spell my name. For two months free on all annual plans. We'll see you here in the membroom segmentum avec la crème du la crème. <laughs> 